This is Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup on New York Red Bulls Radio at TuneIn, Backheel.com, iTunes, and Stitcher. Here are your hosts, Mark Fishkin and Eric Giacometti. Tonight on Seeing Red, the Red Bulls have not scored yet, and they certainly haven't won yet after losing at Montreal's Olympic Stadium 3-0 on the weekend. It's Mark Fishkin here with Eric Giacometti. This week on Seeing Red, we'll talk about what the Red Bulls have to do to break the schneid, uh, to score a goal even, would, yeah, would be good. And they have a team coming into Red Bull Arena this week that beat the defending Western Conference champions 5-0 last week. So we are going to be a bastion of optimism, and we're going to tell you all the things about why New York is going to be able to turn around and fix the small tweaks. And folks, I honestly believe that there are small tweaks that need to be made in order to uh, to generate more offense and keep the ball out of their own net. Tonight on Seeing Red, we will talk to Felipe, uh, number eight, Felipe Martins of the New York Red Bulls. He's our guest and gives a great interview, and then we'll get to your emails and calls. So, um, Eric, how is the poutine? Uh, it was it was awesome. I mean, this you can't really go wrong when you have fries, gravy, and cheese curds. So I that was the highlight of, of my trip to Canada. Now there are some in Jersey that insist that poutine is really just disco fries. And I know you're a Long Island guy. Have you ever had disco fries? I can't say that I have. No. All right. Well. I've been a Jersey guy for a long time, but I can't say that I have had uh, disco fries either, and growing up in Westchester, that didn't exist. But that's okay. Let's get to it. New York plays a scoreless first half again. They get some chances, which certainly they looked more dangerous at times than they did against Toronto the week before. Um, Talk about Montreal's awful turf, if you will. It, it was this was this your first time to Olympic Stadium? It was. Uh, it was uh, a bit weird. I you know pulled up and saw this monstrosity in the middle of, of Montreal, and I said, "This this can't be where it is. This looks like a, a biodome or something." But lo and behold, that's uh, where the game was played, and uh, you could you could tell that it was not made for soccer by any means. I think the Expos used to play there. It's a multi-purpose stadium uh, put up for the Olympic Games there. I think in '76, and they had the turf just basically rolled out on the field. Uh, it lo- I mean, I wasn't close enough to really get a, a good look at it, but it didn't look uh, very uh, very easy to play on. You know, you're always going to be taking tough bounces. And, you know, as I said on the broadcast, there's varying degrees of turf, whether you talk about Portland's, which was one of the best. We all know Thierry Henry was able to play on that turf and none of the others through MLS. And I think this was probably one of the worst. Uh, but that being said, you know, it, it's something you have to deal with and adapt to. And I think that's why it was important for, for Jesse Marsh and the guys to get up there a day early. And, and try to acclimate, although you know didn't quite work out for him. It didn't quite quite work out. New York took nine shots, and three of them were on frame, which is a 300% improvement over the, uh, the shots that, that were on frame last week against Toronto. One of them uh, bounced off of Evan Bush's face and then turned around, and 10 seconds later was the back of the net. And that, for me was where things went from uh, promising to cruel in this match. Obviously, Gideon Ba played well, trying to hold up Piotti um, through the first half was great, and then, frankly, gave up a howler, to, and Oduro tucks in the back of the net. And I honestly thought when BWP got that opportunity, that goes in. Obviously, you're looking at 1-1, and then it's anybody's anybody's game. Another injury time goal, uh, frankly, after the game was was uh, long gone, and New York had 
frankly, again, the, the possession wasn't quite as one-sided as it was against Toronto, but it was certainly tilted in New York's way until that second goal. Um, you know, you were in the locker room afterwards. Talk to us about the mood after a second straight loss. Was it were, were they dejected? Were they hopeful? Were they frustrated? What, what did you see? Well, I, I mean, you know, just minutes after they got off the field, obviously, the, sure. the mood was you know the mood at, at training camp or should I say at at training today was much different much different than it was right after the match. Obviously, they were still very dejected and very down about the performance. They were not a whole lot to be happy about with uh, when you're losing 3-0 on the road. Uh, as you said, that, that one chance that uh, Bradley has you know saved were off Bush's face. I mean, that would completely change the complexion of the game. Uh, but I even brought that up post-game, and the guys weren't really uh, too interested in entertaining it. Felipe yeah. said, yeah, that, that could have been great, and it would have changed the game, but <laughs> that didn't happen, so there's no real point in even discussing it, which it it's, can be a game of inches in that way where you know they they manage to to get that goal and it's a two two goal swing where it goes down the other way and Piatti burns them uh but i i do think the red bulls had their moments where they were better on the night but overall i think montreal were uh deserved winners they you know they hit the post a couple times uh they yep. they were able to pretty much neutralize any attack that the red bulls had going forward and you know Piatti, Oduro, the guys that we talked about, Harry Ship, these guys were the difference makers on the day. Even without Drogba, they were still able to get a really good result at home. It felt like the challenges for New York, really for the second straight game, was a lot of the wide play just kind of wasn't there. And um, you can argue that things are looking up for this Saturday against Houston, primarily because we're going to see for the regular season for the first time, Gonzalo Verón, who, uh, as Jesse said, everyone will be ready to go. Not only that, uh, Ronald Zubar, whether you believe that's a positive or negative, and we believe it's a positive, will be back in the starting lineup after serving his suspension. So... Uh, New York is going to certainly be lifted. Um, Here's some of uh, what Jesse said after practice today. We're not overly discouraged. We do have a good group, and we believe in each other, and it's important to continue to put in the good work every day so that come Saturday we'll be ready to put our best performance on the field. Um, He said that they haven't made the match as fast as they would like, and we're going to hear from Felipe uh, later in our interview segment about exactly what that means. And Luis Robles said uh, some small tweaks to fix in a few places. I mean, when you think about, obviously, they need to do what they can to generate more offensive chances. But on the defense, when you think about what's happening, they've given up one penalty kick, two goals on the counter, and two goals in injury time after the games were more or less taken care of. And yes, New York certainly played better against uh, Toronto than they did Montreal. They were also at home, and so it really is for me the sharpness in the final third. And we talked about it last week. It's making the diagonal run and putting in the ball and over the top and making runs off the ball and uh, fewer giveaways in the attacking half. And you know, if if you if you want to feel good about anything, and and certainly not, it's hard to feel good about your chances when you haven't scored a goal yet, you're the only team in the league that hasn't scored a goal, but here's who else hasn't won a game, Seattle Sounders, Vancouver Whitecaps, and Columbus Crew uh, also have yet to win, and it seems a little bit of a topsy-turvy start to the season, but as we know, there's not just a long way to go, there's a real long way to go. 
Yeah, of course. I, I mentioned that to the guys afterwards in terms of the mentality of, of facing this early adversity. Because if you remember last year, you know, even though they did win the Supporter Shield, they went through that four or five game stretch of, I think, five game winless, four games in a row where they had lost. And, you know, obviously that's. That it could be a kind of a similar sensation in terms of you know fighting back and mental fortitude, uh, but Brad was quick to point out, yeah, that was five. This is only two, and we haven't really even got started yet. So it, it's not time to panic. A, a lot of the guys that I talked to today at practice were singing the same tune. Kamara was saying that it's it's just small things that they need to tweak. Uh, they're not ready to abandon anything by any means necessary. It's just a matter of of changing uh, the execution of a few things. And I, I think Jesse Marsh is even he's looking to change a few things in game. If you noticed, uh, Lloyd Sam and Migrella switched wings in that game to try to you know give a different look. And I, I think there's also some growing pains. If you look at uh, Gideon Baz, a perfect example. He was terrific against Toronto. And I thought he was terrific in the in the first half against uh, against Montreal. I was just yep. finishing praising him on the broadcast, <laughs> and then he you know kind of had his gaffe that led to the goal. But uh, it, it's it's things that you have to learn with the new system. You know when to step, when to drop, how to mesh with your teammates. Uh, I do think that they're, they're going to get it right sooner rather than later, and I think uh, a home game will will do them some good. Yeah, definitely, definitely will do them some good. Um, I put out on Twitter right after the game what what your Red Bull optimism level was. Four percent said sunshine and move memes. Okay, those are the ultra optimists. I think those are the people that I think have been napping for the first two weeks of the season. The, but that's the okay. disciples of the Red Bull optimists are shining through. There you go. There you go, Steve. They're they're out there for you. Thirty four percent said they're already at pitchforks and torches. They are. They're already ready. They're ready for Town Hall Four. They're ready to watch the world burn. And a resounding sixty-two percent says, uh, "Meza, meza." Like, okay, we're we're gonna give him a give him a shot. It's early still, and they'll work it out. That's over a hundred and sixty plus votes. So thank you for taking part. So uh, the Red Bulls lose three nothing in Montreal. It's their first loss to the Impact in three years, and the Impact find themselves all alone on top of the Eastern Conference with six points, and that's before Didier Drogba joins the team. And you have to think, um, early season, things are really looking good north of the border. Also, the earthquakes, surprising, San Jose earthquakes, as well as Sporting Kansas City, both 2-0 and so far on the season. So, Let's um, quickly move past this. Uh, you know, let us never think speak of this again. Let's uh, let's go for bull and cow. Do you have a bull on a night that you'd go out and lose? Oh, Mark, you're killing me. I mean, it's it's tough to uh, to pick a bull when you, as you said, uh, there was just not a whole lot there. I've got it, but I I, I do think right. I, I think. Uh, Felipe actually had a pretty good game. Felipe and Dax both in the center midfield. Uh, they had to do a lot of work defensively and, and trying to recover a lot, but they were able to uh, to maintain possession. As we mentioned, uh, they had the possession edge. So if I if I'll go for a bull, I'll, maybe I'll say Dax or Felipe. You a toss up. All right, Dax Felipe. There you go. Full Cardi. I'm going to give mine to the traveling support and. Obviously, this is one, first of all. I mean, if you've never been, visited Montreal, I mean, it is a phenomenal, phenomenal town. Especially if you're of legal drinking age, as they say, it is a terrific, terrific uh, thing. And 
I think it was 150 plus strong, and and I've seen on the boards out there that they got a, a note or a message or some some Montreal fan was complimenting the Southward on tour because they were saying that um, you, you know the Red Bull fans went for the full 90 and they sang and they gave it right back as we know. Uh, South Ward can. So if you are part of that traveling contingent, congratulations, well done. Uh, you are Arboro Week, as well as Dax and Felipe. I need, to, I need to take a mulligan. That was that was the easy answer. And I was yeah. I, I saw them from a, from across from the press box, and I was actually very impressed with uh, with the showing. You know, with the banners and flags, and just the sheer number that showed up uh, to make the trip north of the border was was very impressive. And as you said, they really did go for the full ninety. In spite of the three 0 result, they went all the way through to the end. And it was nice to see uh, uh, the players going up and and uh, yeah. saluting them after the game, which is always nice. Yep. As they should. Uh, I will give uh, a cow, and it's it's kind of a hybrid cow. It's kind of a sheepish cow, uh. and you know from from and this is how it can change. So early in the season, your bull one week, and your cow the next. Gideon Ba, ba man, <laughs> yikes! Slip <laughs> something from a bad science fiction movie. <laughs> Anything to add? I, I think your mutilated uh, sheep noise really did the trick there. <laughs> Let's talk about the Houston Dynamo. Last year, Houston went 11-14-9, which was not good, and only good enough for eighth in a very competitive MLS Western, MLS Western Conference. However, this year, the Dynamo is 1-0-1 after a home 2-2 draw with the Revs and a 5 nothing absolute pasting of in-state rival FC Dallas at BVA Compass Stadium last week. Uh, against Dallas... There are some familiar names that played, including Joe Willis, who stopped Kenny Cooper's penalty kick in 2002, coming in uh, after a red card uh, in that playoff game. He has now been shipped off to Houston, where he's backing up Tyler Derrick, who's injured. Uh, Demarcus Beasley is still on this team. Rico Clark for Metro is on this team. Some very interesting new players that are making the difference. One is Andrew Wenger, who had a goal and an assist against Dallas, uh, former Montreal and former Philadelphia, along with Christian Maidana, who in 44 minutes helped drive this offense to its four-goal explosion in the first half. Giles Barnes, of course, a Jamaican national team, will be missing time for Copa America, uh, is on this team, and then the dancing bear up top, Will Bruin. However, however, uh, Christian Maidana came out in the 44th minute after being uh, hit big time from Dallas's Maynard Figueroa and opened up a gash in Maidana's head, and he is doubtful uh, for the match this Saturday, as is Giles Barnes, who looks to be doubtful with a hamstring injury. So, I mean, obviously you're never wishing injury on any opponent, but without Maidana and without Giles Barnes, it definitely won't be the team that blasted FC Dallas. Uh, in his place, in Maidana's place, comes Lionel Miranda, 22-year-old Argentine who filled in and possibly Wasting away, I don't, come back with me now to a time when Chivas USA existed, because Kubo Torres is on this team, and deep in the bench, I don't know if he's 
healthy or not. I know that he's tremendously out of form, but he may see the field. And he, obviously, during his short time with Chivas USA, absolutely tore up the league. So there's a possibility there. New York is 8-1-4 and all-time versus Houston. Um, the lone loss came in the 2013 playoffs. We remember that, Omar Cummings. Bradley Wright Phillips has seven goals versus Houston. And the last time these two teams played, it was June 15th down in Texas. Houston had a 4-2 victory in a strange match that New York led 1-0 at halftime. Uh, Boniac Garcia, Rico Clark, and Will Bruin had two in that game along with goals from Grella, the first one, and Anatole Abang late. So that's Houston. They, they're off to a dream start. Any time you can beat your in-state rival is terrific, and then you do it at home and you score four goals in the first half and you chase them out of the park. That's even better. They will be missing key pieces, Eric, and so I'm curious as to what your thoughts might uh, happen in a time when New York desperately needs a goal and a win. Yeah, this this is definitely an interesting matchup, and uh, I'm sure you know the Red Bulls weren't uh, looking with too much optimism as they put five past Dallas and saying, oh, well, this is our, uh, our test next week for our first uh, home win. But I, I think it's interesting because, uh, first of all, you're looking at a, a Houston team that's Brad Davis-less for the first time in, what, their existence since 2006? So he's off to Sporting Kansas City. And as you mentioned, uh, Maidana and, and Barnes out of the lineup, those are two key pieces. So the Red Bulls catch a break there. I think Maidana was second in the league and assists only to Jovinko last year. And Giles Barnes has been so prolific in MLS and with the Jamaican national team. So the Red Bulls are definitely going to have their work cut out for them. You know, they're they're going to have to find a way to score a goal, and uh, obviously it's it's not going to be an easy task. But at home, you'd have to you have to like their chances of of just stringing something together because it's just it, it has to be a matter of of uh, sooner rather than later, I would think. Houston benefited from Dallas Matt Hedges inexplicably kicking the ball into his own net. Uh, in the 13th minute, oh, the one that we didn't mention, David Horst, who is like six foot four, uh, very very smartly stayed up uh, after a free kick and was able to, to knock one in. Um, yeah, I mean, this is a situation where a Houston team will not have its first team, uh, not all of its first team players on the field, and I think New York obviously uh, is. It, are there must win games in March? No, oh. come on now, come on. I I will not. I will not play into that narrative. All right. Just I'm asking the question. <laughs> it's fair. We ask the tough questions on seeing it's fair. I just, up each other. I can't I can't buy into the hype right now. I know it's it's tough going right now, but as you said, this we got thirty two games left. I think there's uh, plenty of time to write the ship. In twenty fourteen was it the Red Bulls were winless in their first six or seven before they were actually able to turn around? Or was that the or was that the twenty thirteen Shield season? I think it was the twenty thirteen Shield season. Wouldn't that be something? With Petke, right, it took him six weeks to win a game. So it's out there. All right, so that said, New York energized, playing at home, ready to go. Uh, let's have a prediction, please. Well, I mean, as you said, playing at home, it should be big, and getting Gonzalo Verón back uh, is going to be huge, I think. I, I, I tend to give my stories a little bit of play on social media. I had a, a training recap that got a little bit of buzz, but the, the news that Gonzalo was back absolutely exploded. I mean, people are just loving the fact that he's back, and I think they're really excited to see what he's going to bring. So I think him getting into the starting eleven. Uh, if Jesse so chooses that route, uh, will be will be a nice addition and, and give the Red Bulls a new wrinkle. I, I'm going to call it. I'm going to call it one-one. They might not get the win. They'll get their first goal. They'll get their first point. 
oh, I'm going to call it a win because this team needs a win and they're going to be playing at home and the, the crowd will be loud and proud and I'm going to call it a 3-1 win for New York and I think the floodgates will open early and often and I think you're going to see goals from Verone and from Bradley Wright Phillips and even one from Felipe this week. There you go. When we're back on Seeing Red, we're going to talk to Felipe, who has uh, – let's just say you want to stay to the end of this interview, folks, because I think one of the early season mysteries is about to be explained. We'll be right back. You're listening to Seeing Red. We're back at Seeing Red on New York Red Bulls Radio on TuneIn. SeeingRedNY.com. You can find us in iTunes and Stitcher as well. And folk, uh, folks, tonight our guest is in his second season with the club. In 2015, he started every league match with the Red Bulls, picking up three goals and five assists, including a wonder strike in Portland's Providence Park in September. It's his second time on Seeing Red. We're very happy to have him. It's Felipe. How are you tonight, Felipe? Good night, everyone. Thank you. Everyone for having me here again. It's my pleasure to be with you guys again. And, uh, you know, it's always nice to talk uh, about the topic, talk uh, about the records. Absolutely. So let's talk about today during uh, comments. I know Luis had talked about the role of watching film in fixing the problems that the team is having in scoring. Can you give us a little bit of insight into exactly what your what that's like? Does team all go in the film room together? Does Jesse take groups together and and find a find the little tweaks that'll help open up the scoring for the team? Of course, I think Jesse is a great manager. How the way he manages the the team, the way he manages like everyone on the team, and you know it's not different right now. When we lose the games, it's not it's not easy, but uh, for sure, like we we watch. How everything we did wrong, everything we did good, and for sure we we need to improve some things. And we we watched the those couple of days uh, the game against Montreal. We watched last week uh, against Toronto, and he spoke with uh, everyone. He spoke with, like individuals, and um, he knows what we need to do better. And the team is uh, even today we work really hard. We work uh, very good. And, we are ready to improve ourselves to begin against you because we definitely need these two points. Uh, Felipe, just for, from being out of training today, I talked with some of the guys, and I, you know, was trying to gauge the mood of, of, you know, what the camp is like, and it doesn't really seem like there's any panic. Can, can you uh, attest to that? It doesn't seem like you guys are, you know, despite the two losses, it seems like you guys are still in good spirits. Uh, do you, would you agree with that? Of course, I think the, the spirit of the group, the the positive. Uh, energy around the group it's it's amazing. I think we we know what we need to do better. We know like what we need to improve. Of course, uh, we need to be sharp. We need to be better on the ball. We need to don't make uh, simple mistakes that uh, would cost our games. And of course, we we have a group of experienced guys. We everyone need need to step up our games uh, right now and uh, just uh, need everything we have. To, to to improve the, the game and to improve uh, uh, ourselves. I think that's the way to, to, to start to get a uh, win. So of the five goals that you guys have conceded so far, two were in extra time when the team was pushed up, one was a result of a, of a giveaway, and the other two were on the counter. And I'm kind of curious, 
you know, over the last season plus now, you guys are playing a great high press, and you guys have generated a lot of offense, but the team has always been susceptible for giving up goals on the counter. And I'm curious what you guys are talking about and working on to help avoid giving up more goals like that moving forward. Of course, we're speaking, like uh, even last week, we speak uh, about aggressive things, uh, uh, some of tactics things, but, you know, like when we push in games, we're trying to, to break down pressure, we're trying to break down things that sit back and wait for us to, to make the game. And it, it's really hard because, as you see, against Toronto, it was kind of like uh, better than them, like all games. For 78 minutes, we were uh, possession of their own half, and that we didn't, we didn't score it. So sometimes we, we need to finish plays and, and get a goal that's going to open up things and make them come out. Uh, a bit of good news at training today. I saw Gonzalo Verón uh, was back within the team. Looked like he was training in full uh, after for the first time since he picked up that injury in Jacksonville. Uh, just from seeing him in in training in preseason and in preseason camp, uh, what do you think he'll be able to add to the team if he does play in, uh, against Houston on Saturday? He he came back from from uh, from the vacation really fat. He came back here with a lot of real release. He, he looks exactly like another player because uh, uh, many guys watching him last year and didn't watch true, but we, we knew that how good he is. We knew, we know like how good he can be for us. And we wouldn't, like, nobody needs to be surprised if he steps our side and score a goal and help us get a win because he is the guy who's going to give us speed. He's going to give us. Uh, Ball, uh, to play behind because he is really fast. He's uh, very technical on the ball and he gives open up defense because he's very fast and very intelligent on his movements on the pack at third. Felipe, um, talk a little bit about the, the new wrinkle and the new formation that Jesse has been experimenting with so far in the preseason and now. Obviously, um, whether it's one player up top or two players up top, and I think everyone will really get a chance to see what uh, Gonzalo brings to Bradley's game up top on Saturday, but does your role change in that sort of a situation where you don't necessarily have someone directly in front of you when Kleschen is playing uh, off to the left? Does that change your assignment in the 4-2-2-2? No, I think for me that uh, doesn't change much like, uh, because we, we have uh, if you play two strikes, whatever plays up front, we have two options to play the ball forward instead of only one. Of course, Sasha playing there, he is the guy who makes the game, who is the guy who come back get the ball. You know, we are used to play in that season, but it doesn't change for me in Baxter because uh, we, we still have a lot of options to play forward. And of course, uh, if two up there, we have uh, Gonzalo or Mike or Sasha can play as a second forward to to help uh, Bradley. So sometimes, even in that season, he sometimes he was alone up there. I think uh, to have a, a second option as a formation and to have other options to, to play, it's great because we can change it during the game and uh, the work we've been doing on the off season, on preseason and now I think we, we've been good. We just need to to, to get some some games on and get nine minutes uh, play some games because it's the beginning of the season. It's normal that uh, we are not Sharp 100%, but uh, for sure, on the next game, we're going to 
have like fear thing that come angry, hungry, and humble to to run for everyone and get three points. Obviously, one of the talking points through these first two games is uh, the team's inability to find the back of the net. Obviously, 180 minutes, no goals. Uh, what do you think is the confidence level of guys like Lloyd and Brad and Mike? And, and what what do you think it'll take to get them going and uh, and and help them find the back of the net? Well, we we know how good they are. We know how important they are for the team, and they know that we have extremely confidence on them. That's the don't want to take longer to, to score a goal. And for sure, Saturday, hopefully, everyone off those guys have a goal and we can win a big game and win front or our five. will be good for, for their conference, but for sure, we have a, a fully conference on, on us because we know how good they are. Felipe, Jesse, among the, the comments that Jesse made today is that the team isn't making the match fast. And I'm kind of curious, you know, what are the things that you and the team can do? Obviously, you guys are engaged, you're energetic, you're out there making it go. What are the, t- the types of things that make the match fast uh, for, for you guys when you're on the field? I think you can, as you can see, the goal is quite important. He helps, like... Uh get the ball in and play the ball forward and I get the ball and I will have to, to score a goal. Those kind of things, like when there's a foul, don't stop for five seconds, just keep going, you know. We are a team that we are very fit. We, we demonstrated that last year and you know, we improved ourselves in this season. We are a very fit team, so we need to make them... them uh, their game very fast. We need to, to run more than anyone. We need to when both goes to the throw, we gotta throw the ball in and keep keep playing, keep uh, keep moving like instead of other teams trying to break the uh, to break the time to, to make fouls and everything to stop it. Again that's what it means. Like when you have a foul play. When you have a throw in just throw in and keep playing. Now instead of like give give space and time for them to 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 break our our, our pressure to break uh, the time and don't don't play fast. I think this is what he means. Do you understand? No, yeah, make definitely makes sense. Um, Felipe, obviously today was the the first training session since uh, the Montreal match on Saturday. Uh, and it, it was tournament day in Hanover, but can you just explain to uh, to the listeners who might not be familiar exactly what tournament day is? Because it was a very intense day, but you know, for the outsider, it might not make sense. Can you just explain what goes on on the tournament day? Unfortunately, it wasn't my happy day for me because we lost a tournament day, but <laughs> tournament day is great because uh, he makes uh, four or five teams sometimes with the Usually it's four teams, like oh, six or seven players, and we, we split the teams and play against each other for 12 minutes. And, you know, it's very intense, it's very physical, and everyone wants to win because we have a rank that we put there, and we, if you lose, you get zero points. If you win, you get three points. So I'm, I'm on the back of the list, but my team wasn't that good today. But next next tournament, we're for sure going to win. <laughs> Felipe, um, we asked as we were on the air with you tonight, uh, we put out a a message to our fans to come in and and ask a question. And Keith Woodfin, who's a longtime fan of this team, wants to know, what did you say to Clint Irwin 
when he was lying on the ball at Red Bull Arena against Toronto? Do do you want to share what you said with our listeners? I I said to him, I like him very much. (laughs) (laughs) To stay down for longer, right? If he just relaxes on the field, that would be fine with you. Keep keep you going down, brother. (laughs) I I hope we were alone. I just hope we were alone. There you go. Felipe wears number eight for the New York Red Bulls. Felipe, best of luck against Houston this weekend, and best of luck for the season. I know we'll talk to you later down the road. Uh, thank you so much for having me again. Whenever you want to come here, it's always a pleasure to, to speak and to answer all the questions. Even if you did one of hard, you couldn't really say what I said to him, but next time. <laughs> For sure. Thanks a lot. Your emails are after this on Seeing Red. We'll be right back. You're listening to Seeing Red. Hey, we're back. It's Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup. Hey, um, you want some stickers? You want some Seeing Red stickers? Because we have Seeing Red stickers now. Eric, you got your Seeing Red stickers, didn't you? I do. I got a whole bunch, and I could not be more pumped. Where are you? St- uh, where have you placed the stickers? <laughs> Hello. Where have you placed the stickers? In, in full view? Where I got I got one on my phone case. I got one on the laptop. So it's you know you gotta rock the scene red, red loud and proud. If you want a seeing red sticker, and we can see them, and let me tell you something. First of all, James Knoll. Thank you. James Knoll asked for stickers, and we sent him stickers, and he posted a video on Facebook of his son opening the envelope and going, seeing red stickers, this is so cool. And that's amazing. So thank you so much for that. If you want seeing red stickers, it's real easy. Just write us at seeingredny at gmail.com. You don't need a Sazy. You don't need a sp- – there's no PayPal involved. Just send me your – send us your mailing address and we'll put a sticker in the mail. And then we want you to sh- show off your sticker. You can tweet at us at Seeing Red NY. You can post it on our Facebook page, but just let us know where where your Seeing Red stickers are. Email time. Oh, and by the way, you can also write us an email or give us a call. And we have a call tonight. I, I think I think the show has reached a new highlight tonight with tonight's <laughs> lone call. I think there's national recognition for the show, but we're going to hold it. Okay, here's Matt Graham who says, given the Red Bulls have lost their first two games at seems almost certain that they won't win any games at all in 2016. Hopefully they can get a lot of draws. And since Gideon Ba was the best player against Toronto, and then the worst player against Montreal, does that mean the Red Bulls have no best players this year? I don't understand why a guy who joined the team a month or two ago isn't already playing great in every single game. And I am comforted that the 2016 is over already for Columbus, Seattle, Vancouver, and Dallas. Apparently the hangover from 2015 playoff by is so bad that it ruins your entire 2016 season. That's Matt Graham, who I think is a little a little sarcastic in the email. Would that have been tongue in cheek? I think so. Hmm. Is there an emoji? Is there an emoji for tongue in cheek? If not, they got to get on that. Right. <clears throat> Here's Phil Aramondo, who is a friend of the show. Hey guys, things aren't looking too good for the men in red right now, but I think some perspective is necessary. In 2014, first there were so there is there is one. Absolute, insane, wonderful, uh, venom-filled email that we will share. But this isn't it. In 2014, in defense of their first shield, New York only managed to secure four points 
from a possible 18 over the course of the first six games of the season, yet they still managed to find their way into the playoffs and reach the conference final. Yes, this is a different team from two years ago, and while I don't enjoy seeing them look sloppy and disorganized as they did last weekend in Montreal, they do need some time to settle in. Losing Miazga to Chelsea and not having Paranel in the lineup are just as important factors as not having Verona up top. I've heard so many great things about Verona and BWP working together in the preseason, and I can't wait to see how that translates to league matches that matter. The MLS season is truly a marathon, so if you haven't already on this episode, can you please remind your listeners in the red part of town there's no need to panic? There might not be, a, there might be at some point in the future, but two games in the season is far from over, and I'm not the Red Bulls optimist. Looking forward to Saturday. That's Phil in Brooklyn. Thank you, Phil. Gustavo Gonzalez writes, Hey, Mark and Eric, as a Mets fan, my natural inclination is to be pessimistic about just about anything related to a sports team, especially when we hit a bit of adversity. So after two fairly anemic performances to kick off the 2016 campaign, I could easily lapse into a panic like most fans I've come across on the various group forums, but I won't. All right. The fact of the matter is we blitzkrieged our way to the 15 regular season into the playoffs and came up with nothing. The Supporter Shield is fantastic, but we've got two of those in the last three years, and I won an MLS Cup. So let's just look at this regular season for what it is, unfortunately, a really long and highly exciting preseason where the top six teams at the end get to battle for real, for what truly matters. Need I remind fellow fans that the Timbers were battling for a playoff position well into the regular season. And I just want to divert from Gustavo's email, and I will again point to the fact that the New York Red Bulls went into Portland and beat them 2-0 and completely dominated them in what turned out to be their last poor performance of the year last year. And I still find myself a little dumbfounded that they won MLS Cup last year. Dumbfounded! Okay. And against Kansas City, if that ball in the penalty kick shootout doesn't hit both posts, we're not talking about them at all. It's amazing the job that Portland did. All right, back to the email. My belief is that Jesse and company know this, and they'll use most of the regular season to work the kinks out to get the homegrowns integrated while prepping the team for the stretch run that begins in August. Also, wouldn't it be genius if Jesse's 4-2-2-2 isn't the real plan B? What if he's cunningly holding on to some other looks and wrinkles that he'll unleash come playoff time? i got to believe this is a much tougher regular season, but to borrow from my Mets brethren, you got to believe... Um, is there's uh, thinking of the entire regular season as a warm up to the playoffs uh, is a little different. I'm curious to your thoughts on that, I'm, just as a concept. Yeah, I mean, I've I've heard people have similar takes in terms of you know the importance of the regular season and how there really isn't a, a true uh, reward for for placing well in the regular season. Granted, obviously, this is supporter shield and Champions League qualification, but but I do understand his point in that you know you see teams that can you know just squeak in or just get hot at the right time, and then it's a matter of winning that that very tiny season where it's just, it's a sprint at the end of the season. And if you can manage to get it together and as we saw with Portland, get a couple bounces that go your way. And then all of a sudden you're the one uh, standing at the mountaintop holding the cup. So I, I do understand the frustration. I don't, I don't think that uh, Jesse Marsh and the staff are necessarily uh, going to take that for granted the regular season and say, you oh, know, we can, we have a couple in the bag. We just got to get hot at the right time. I mean, they're definitely going to go out there and try to win each and every single game. And I think they're going to go out there and put out their, their best team and, their best tactics. I don't. I don't necessarily think that he's 
uh, holding anything back for for the no. playoffs, I think, is just a matter of integrating some new pieces and and you know shaking off the rust from you know from the off season and really getting rolling. It's it's not so much that you know they're saving themselves for the postseason. I, I do think it's about getting hot at the right time, but a lot of that is just kind of happenstance. It's not something you can really plan for. I don't think. Uh, I have the hot fire, the first hot fire email of the season, and it's from our fr- friend, the Big Viper, Miguel Nunez who writes, Hello, Mr. Fishkin and Mr. Giacometti. I think those are our dads. I'm a long-time fan since 1996, and I've been perplexed by the following for years and years now. Why is it that the Red Bulls refuse to sign an actual number 10 midfield maestro? It's unbelievable to me that we haven't had such a player since Amado Guevara, and what a shame it was that we got rid of him only to sign the often injured Claudio Reyna. Throughout MLS history, most of the teams that have won MLS Cup have had such a player. The only exception I can think of is the 2010 Colorado Rapids, who played battering ram direct lower English league-style football. Last season, four of the MLS semifinalists had such a player, and it wasn't us. I'm going to overlook this... Brief transgression with logic to continue. As you know, two teams had such a player went on to the MLS Cup. In recent history, we've wasted the talent, wasted, wasted the talents of Juan Pablo Angel and Thierry Henry by not having such a player playing behind them. Both JPA and Henry usually had to retreat as far back as our back line to retrieve balls and create something. They should have been up front at all times, receiving balls from the likes of Echeverry, Pibe Valderrama, Baros Galoto, Javier Ferreira, Valeri, Iguain, Moro Diaz, Lee Wynn, and the aforementioned of Otto Guevara. Instead, they've tried to convert players like Donadoni, Reyna, Jorge Rojas. <laughs> Rafa Marquez and Pegilo Yandula to be the creator on this team. And the human battering ram, Tim Cahill, wasn't the answer either. The latest conversion is Sasha Kleschen, and he's not even close to being the best number 10 in MLS. We'd be better off with Sasha Deep doing his best Shalry Joseph impression alongside Dex McCarty and an actual number 10 in front of him. It's all run, 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 press, 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 but what happens when that isn't working out? And it hasn't for the first two games of the season. When you need a little magic to break down a defense, I'll tell you what happens. We lose. Just like it did in the semifinal last year against Columbus and in the semifinal the year before that against New England. I was there in L.A. for that 2008 MLS Cup Final, as was I, and I knew going into the stadium that we were the underdog. Columbus had a number 10 footballing monster named Guillermo Barscolotto, and as you know, he wound up single-handedly killing us. Can we win without an actual number 10 creative genius? I suppose we can as Colorado did, but how about making our odds better by actually signing such a player? That is Miguel Nunez, the big viper, who you can find, I believe, in the back of 132, 131, 130. That's quite a statement. Uh, He's not wrong that Valeri for Portland and uh, Iguain for Columbus make make those teams go. Is it possible to win in this league without having a guy like that? Yeah, of course it is. I mean, I, I understand where he's coming from. Obviously, it's it's very nice to have those, you know, the, the famed South American, you know, DP number ten that can, you know, take a take the ball from midfield and create a bit of magic and you know drop a dime somewhere. But I, I would understand more if this concern were coming after a season where the Red Bulls were anything but the league's highest scoring team. I, I mean, you're, essentially the point of a number 10 is to create and to make chances and to score goals. 
and the Red Bulls did all of that. I mean, that's they were the, the highest-scoring team in MLS last season. And granted, I, I know that Sasha Kleschen is not a number 10 in the traditional mold, and he'll be the first one to tell you that. But I think in Jesse Marsh's system, it doesn't call for uh, a number 10 that can... Uh, you know, a, a lot of these number 10s, they, they don't have a, a lot of defensive responsibilities. They have the, the luxury to kind of float around underneath the striker and, and, you know, let the game come to them. Whereas in Jesse Marsh's system, it requires uh, an industrious player that works hard, that tracks back defensively, that's not, a, you know, not afraid to get into a tackle. And that's, you're not going to necessarily find that with, a, you know, Guillermo Barrescoloto, as he kept on referring to. So I, I don't think it's a necessarily one-size-fits-all where, the, you know, a number 10 uh, is necessarily the answer to every single team. I think it's, it, it, it's definitely nice and it helps in certain uh, circumstances, but it's not necessarily the cure-all to every team's ills. Yeah, and listen, I, I, I have nothing... Uh, but appreciation for Miguel and the fervor that he b- brings to secure this, I, I uh, to support the team. Uh, we're, we're not going to be having one of those players this year, I don't believe, unless something radical changes at the summer transfer window. We do obviously have a DP spot available. Uh, there's no indication that Jesse will be willing to completely go back on the play and the success and the formation that he has, although you never know. But it's a very valid point in terms of having a player like that, Miguel, and we appreciate you sharing uh, your thoughts, as always. Um, Lastly, this is our first call in a while, and it's not always that someone of this stature calls in and makes the kind of statement that you're about to hear. Now, I don't know, Eric, you know, we're we're good buds. We haven't spoken politics. It's a very contentious crazy, never-been-seen-before election year, but I think we have a call from Bernard in Brooklyn that you might want to hear, and here it is. Hello, Daniel and David. This is Bernard from Brooklyn. Uh, Given our lack of wins and our lack of goals scored, there is an enormous crisis facing our club. What the people of New York have said is we can no longer continue to have a corrupt MLS system where the average Red Bull player plays longer minutes for less pay, where almost all new income and wealth is going to clubs like New York City Football Club and the Los Angeles Galaxy. This league was built on fairness and parity, and it is not fair when the top 1% of clubs are getting 90% of the money and the tension. So are you guys ready for a radical question? Here it is. Is the Ollie Curtis plan, a man whom I admire and with whom, for the most part, share the same goals, is his plan of spending little while the rest of MLS is using the Don Garber rigged and corrupt MLS system to buy superstars and cheat the salary cap, hurting us. Our league belongs to all of us and not just a handful of billionaires. When that happens, we will transform this club. Thank you very much. So um, it's not every day that you get, frankly, a presidential candidate calling into your show. Um, I don't know who Daniel and David are, but I appreciate the reference to those guys, I guess. 
Um, you know, it, it's all about millionaires and billionaires at the end of the day, Eric. That, that was unbelievable. I, I think he, maybe he's harkening back to seeing red uh, hosts of, of years past, but nonetheless, I, I, it had me rolling. So thank you very much. Whoever was able to pull off that accent and that, that uh, imitation was, was beautiful. Yes, and again, uh, wherever your politics lie, I hope that you certainly can appreciate uh, some, something like that. Really terrific. So we've come to an end of another Seeing Red. We thank you so much for listening. Thanks to Felipe. Eric, remind us of your prediction. I'm calling it 1-1. All right, first points of the year. I'm going to call it a 3-1 win for New York for Eric Giacometti. I'm Mark Fishkin saying thank you so much for listening to this edition of Seeing Red, and we'll be back next week. Good night, everybody. Thanks for listening to Seeing Red. Since 2010, your New York Red Bulls podcast. Find us at New York Red Bulls Radio at TuneIn, Backheel.com, iTunes, Stitcher, and SeeingRedNY.com. <laughs>